Good morning. And a warm welcome to the service this morning. Good to see good to see so many out actually this morning and uh, there's a good number of visitors with us as well. Uh, you're especially welcome. If you're able to stay behind at the end for tea and coffee, uh, please uh, please do so. Let's uh, join our hearts together in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that we can come to this place this morning and we can come uh, knowing that we are welcome and uh, knowing that you call us to come into your presence and to come into the place of worship. And we thank you that we have the confidence as we do so uh, to know that you will meet with us as we seek to draw near to you. That's your promise. Those who draw near to you, you will draw near to. So we thank you that uh, we have that belief, that we have that understanding that not only do we gather together uh, in each other's presence, but we gather together in the presence of uh, the living God. And we thank you for the psalm that we have sang, uh, where you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you have shown yourself uh, to us to be our creator. And as we look around us in the beauty of the landscape that we have been placed in, we are in awe so often of what we see. And we thank you that we know that our awe and our worship and our thanksgiving is not to be directed to the universe, but the one who has made the universe, the God uh, who is our creator. So we thank you, Lord, for all that we see that surrounds us. And we thank you that not only have you made this world, but you have made us. Uh, you have formed us, each of us. And we have been made in the image of God which means that we are valuable, that we are precious to you. There are no small, insignificant people because each of us have been made in your image and to, to be brought into a relationship with you. We thank you that you call us, Lord, uh, to know you, to trust you, to find salvation in you. And we have sang of that in the psalm also, you are the rock of our salvation and as we read these words and sing these words, our minds race forward uh, thousands of years to Jesus, the one who lived for us and the one who died for us, the one who rose from the dead and who promises to be the rock of our salvation if we trust him. So give us faith, Lord, we pray, that we would be trusting in Jesus, all of us. Some of us are up in years and we feel the aches and pains that uh, the, 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 the accumulation of years brings. Uh, some are in the prime of life and who may feel strong and who may feel steady. And there are uh, some who are just in the, the very earliest days of our lives. We, we thank you for the babies who are here with us. We thank you especially for our little baby uh, Evelyn who is with us for the first time today and for Mihaela and for Ian and for Miriam. And we thank you that as we have prayed, Lord, you have heard our prayers. And we praise you for the blessing uh, of all these uh, young children who, who are beginning to fill uh, the creche. We thank you for each of them that we see here and uh, that we rejoice to hear in the building here and in the creche next door also. And we pray on for the, the little ones that uh, we do not yet see, but who are being formed within the womb. We pray uh, for their protection and for their safe delivery and in due course. We pray, Lord, for uh, all who uh, are 
gathered here. Uh, you know our hearts, you know our needs. We pray for those who uh, have a desire to be here, who may be watching and listening, but who do not have sufficient health and strength and mobility to, to come. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless each one, uh, that you would draw near to each of us and meet us at the point of our need. For those who are uh, struggling with illness, we're conscious still of so many with, with COVID and uh, some who are feeling ill with it. And we ask that uh, you would draw near to them and lay hands of healing upon them. Uh, we pray for those who are grieving. We're conscious of some uh, who, whose hearts are sore, especially today. And we ask, Lord, for your comfort and for your strength. We thank you that you're the God who binds up the brokenhearted. And we pray uh, for those, Lord, who are anxious. The young people, perhaps, as they think about exams, we ask that you would give them all that they need as they approach them. And perhaps others who are going for tests and waiting for scans and uh, these kind of things that weigh heavy on our minds. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give peace to those who are anxious. And we pray for those who are healthy, uh, those who have uh, nothing in this world that causes them alarm at this point, but uh, who do not realize uh, the fact that they are sinners and they are in need of, of Jesus to be Savior. We pray for uh, souls that are, uh, that are sleeping. Uh, we pray that you would awaken uh, souls that have no sense of need of God and that you would bring them to life. And for those who may be wandering, we know that we are prone to wander. We pray that you would draw each back, that we would have a close walk with God. To hear our prayers, uh, be with us in this place. We pray uh, for our nation. Uh, we pray for a world that's so much uh, in unrest. We see turmoil. We see uh, warfare. Uh, we see so much that would trouble us. And we pray for those that you have allowed to be in authority over us. But we thank you that over all of them, is uh, the sovereign God and we bow before you and ask Lord that you would be at work uh, in this place and across the nation and across all nations may many people even in this your day uh, find uh, that they receive the saving grace of God and we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen. So let's pray Lord we thank you that uh, you uh, tell us the truth and that you are the truth and we ask Lord that you would Help us to, to believe, to trust you, and to listen to you today and every day. We thank you that you tell us the truth about uh, the sin in our hearts, not to make us sad, but to make it possible for us to be saved. And we thank you that uh, the Lord Jesus came to this world and died on the cross so that we can be saved from sin and made safe forever if we simply ask him to come in to our hearts. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come in to our hearts, that you would take away our sin and that you would make us safe forever. Speak, O Lord, we pray to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we can turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 20, please. Um, we never gone, well, I never got to deal with this parable last Sunday. I was going to deal with it on Wednesday night last week, but um, there's more to it as I began to explore it. So we're going to look at this today. The parable of the tenants. Luke chapter 20 and uh, verse 9. Jesus went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. 
he sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Amen, and may God bless that reading of his word to us. If you could turn back now, please, to the passage that we, that we read from Luke chapter 20. And we'll pray as we return to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the truth of your word, and we pray uh, for the help of the Holy Spirit once more as we come to study it. Uh, speak into our hearts, Lord, we pray as we sang, and help us to see our need of Jesus and to come in faith to Jesus. We pray that for ourselves in this room. We pray that for the, the children in Sunday school and in creche, that as they as they grow up and as these uh, little babies grow up amongst us, we pray that they would grow up to know you and to trust you. And we pray not just for ourselves, we pray for the congregations around us, the different denominations in this place and in the, in the surrounding villages from us. Uh, we pray for the congregations connected to us, uh, the visitors with us today, the, the places that they, they come from. We ask, Lord, that whatever uh, the word of God is preached, whatever uh, Christ is lifted up, that many would be drawn to him in salvation. So hear our prayers. Help us to speak, help us to listen, help us to respond in a way that glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think all of us have been in a situation uh, before where we felt that the person that we're speaking to actually in that moment knows more about us uh, than we know about ourselves. Um, you know, maybe at the hospital we've been for, uh, for tests and uh, we're waiting for the, the results and uh, we're sitting in front of a doctor and they have a file with their name on it and they're scanning through papers and they're scanning through uh, photographs and uh, we're, we're shifting uncomfortably in our chair as they look at us and we realise they know more about what's going on inside than we do or online uh, you know you can search for uh, a new pair of trainers on, on Google as I all too often do uh, and then you go on to Facebook or YouTube or something uh, and what pops up in the adverts well, the exact trainers that you were looking for that you decided not to buy. They keep appearing in front of you for the next uh, few weeks. And you wonder, how did they know? Uh, and we realise now uh, that the way they know is through these evil cookies. Or even when I was thinking back to university days, um, when we sat final exams, I'm so old, 
that I can remember that the, the, the result for your final exams wasn't texted to you, it wasn't emailed to you, it was pinned on a wall. And everyone in the class, all 200, uh, were all gathered round in this quadrant, uh, straining to see what our names uh, on this list. And very often, uh, your classmates, who, who are usually a little bit faster than you, uh, they could see if you'd passed or failed before you knew anything. So there's something that's very unsettling uh, about someone else uh, knowing you better uh, than you know yourself. And yet that's the situation that we're in, in Luke chapter 20. Uh, the chief priests and the teachers of, of the law, together with the elders, the religious big shots, uh, were, they were tracking Jesus. They were actually uh, trying to gather all the information they could uh, about Jesus so they could uh, use it against him. They're wanting to build a case to incriminate uh, Jesus over. But it seems as, as they gather their evidence and as they try to close in uh, on Jesus, uh, Jesus actually seems to know more about them than they uh, know about him. And so in this parable that we're looking at uh, today, uh, Jesus uh, shows these religious leaders and he shows us our, our sinful hearts. And Jesus, he, he reaches out to these folks with the offer of salvation. And he also uh, warns them of the prospect of judgment if they don't receive it. She makes a lovely little noise, doesn't she? <laughs> we could listen to her for another 20 minutes. So, we're going to take a few minutes to look at this parable uh, this morning. And I have six points to warn you, but there are six points uh, that are very short, uh, so I would expect to move uh, briskly through this, just to, to gather our thoughts. Uh, uh, we see, uh, first of all, a creator God, uh, and then we see a chosen people. Uh, then we hear a call from God to be, to be fruitful. Uh, we see from the religious leaders the challenge of unbelief. Uh, we hear uh, then a, a last call, uh, to faith, and then uh, there is the warning as you follow the verses through of the crush of judgment for those who continue to resist. So that gives you the big picture, and we'll just move uh, through this in the time that we have. So first of all, we see a creator God, the creator God. Look at verse 9. Uh, Jesus went on to tell the people this parable, and he says, A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time and there's a lot packed into this parable but uh, the, the start point here the, the, the very big picture as we approach it is, is we see uh, in this parable the, the creative life giving work of God uh, there is a vineyard and that vineyard it's been rented out to, to some farmers but notice that the, the farmers didn't plant it and the farmers didn't make it grow they're just placed in it they're just placed in it for a period. And that's our situation. That's a picture of, of us. I was thinking back to when I was just a wee a boy and I used to go and uh, sit in prayer meetings. And uh, I remember when I would sit in prayer meetings and I would hear the older men praying. And they used to use a phrase that came back to me as I was reading through this parable. Uh, the older men uh, would be praying 
to the Lord uh, for uh, help with the work in, quotes, this part of thy vineyard. And he used to say it all the time. We pray for the, the work of the gospel in this part of thy vineyard. And I didn't really know what it meant. But I knew enough to understand that they were praying for the place that we were in. At that point in time, they were praying for Stornoway. That's where I was. And, you know, we see ourselves in this parable. Uh, we, are, we are in the vineyard that God has made. Uh, we have been given life. And it's God that's given us life. Uh, we, we didn't bring about our own birth. We hear the, the wee ones, and as we celebrate uh, uh, seeing them here, uh, we didn't bring about our own birth. We didn't make ourselves grow. It's God that does that. And we've been placed in this world. We didn't make this world. We've been placed in this beautiful part of the world, uh, and it's God's world. It's His creation, it's His vineyard. And so the, the question comes to you and I uh, in the, the first instance here. Uh, how will we use our lives for the, the time that we are placed here? You know, in, in one sense, as we read in verse 9, of, the, of the, um, the owner of the vineyard who went away for a long time, uh, our creator God, in one sense, he's gone away for a long time. Jesus came into this world, he is coming back. But it seems like a long time. And we're in this place. And God has given us free will. He's allowed us to make decisions about how we will use the time that he has given us and how we will use the resources that he has given us. So like the, the farmers who, who are accountable to the one uh, who planted the vineyard, ultimately we are accountable to the creator God who's planted this world and who has placed us in it. So look out the window this afternoon. Look around you and remember that all this we have been made by the creator God we're here for a while soon we'll stand before him and we'll explain to him what we did with our time here but that's the first thing we see uh, the creator God the second thing we see here is uh, a chosen people and still in verse 1 uh, I just want to, to zoom in for a, a minute on the, the word vineyard now, if we travel back in time to the, 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 the time and the place into which Jesus spoke uh, to Israel, uh, that word vineyard, it was a loaded word. Uh, they understood that that word was packed full of Old Testament significance. It was a word that described the nation of Israel. Uh, and they were, uh, in the first instance, God's chosen people. God chose to reach out to this small, cantankerous nation. He chose them. And uh, he reveals himself and his character uh, to them. And uh, this word vineyard was a word uh, that spoke about Israel, the people that God chose. So I'm going to read a, a couple of verses from Isaiah 5. You can go there if you want, but I'll, I'll just read through it quickly. Uh, God, as he speaks through this prophet Isaiah, uh, he says this. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. So Jesus, as he speaks about this vineyard, he's speaking about Israel. Uh, sometimes we can be sitting and we've got our phones in our pocket and they... 
they bleep or they vibrate and we look and we can see uh, there's a notification on our phones. We've been tagged in some post. Somebody's written something and they've connected us to it. Or they've put a photograph online and they've tagged us in it. And the chief priests and the, the teachers of the law, together with the elders, uh, they knew the moment that Jesus used the word vineyard, that he tagged them in the parable. This was a story about them. And their minds, because they remember Bible experts, went immediately back to Isaiah 5 and they knew they were arrested in their minds because they knew Jesus was pointing the finger at them, he was speaking to them. One commentator, Barclay, says this is a parable whose meaning is crystal clear. I can tell it's not crystal clear to us, but it was crystal clear to them. The vineyard stands for the nation of Israel, Isaiah 5. The tenants are the rulers of Israel into whose hands the nation was entrusted. So this was a story, it was a parable about the people that were standing in front of Jesus on that day. And yet this is a story, this is a parable that also tags us. In the Old Testament, God chose to reach out to a small group, a particular group of people. Uh, he, he chose to reach out to them in love and mercy and grace and, and call them to himself. But as we step from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we hear the call of God to us. The gates open, the call widens, and we hear Jesus saying to us, Come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are tired, who are heavy laden, who feel the weight of their sin. And I will give you rest. See, as God's word is opened, as we hear it, God is choosing us. Now, there might be some here who doubt that. There will be some here who doubt that. There's some who have enough kind of background theological knowledge to say well oh, there, there's, a, there's a group of people that God chooses but I don't know if it's me don't know if he's choosing me but the fact is that you're here this morning because God has determined that you will be here and if you're still awake and hearing this your mind's not a, a thousand miles away it's because God is arresting you he's speaking to you He's choosing to reach out to you. He is giving you the opportunity, if you trust in him, to be one of his chosen people. Creator God, overarching all. And yet he is the, the creator God who reaches out to us. He chooses us. He says, I want you to be one of my people. Third point. There's a call to be fruitful. Verse 10. At harvest time, uh, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. So the, the tenants are in this vineyard. They've been there for a period. And harvest time has come. Work has been done in advance. Now there's a crop. And uh, it's the time to look for fruit. And the picture at the, at the kind of this world level is very straightforward. Uh, the the, the owner of the vineyard who's rented this out to them is very reasonably and uh, in full accordance with the law, the terms of the contract, saying there's, there's, there's fruit and I'm entitled to a portion of that fruit. You know, some of you might have a, a property in, in some other place and somebody else is in it. You've rented it out for a period. When it comes to the end of the month, you expect a return. It's 
the right thing, it's the reasonable thing, it's the contractual thing. And the, the owner of the vineyard, in terms of the agreement, is saying, the harvest has now come, and I am entitled to a cut of this, because it's my vineyard, not yours. So if we move from the, the picture that Jesus paints in terms of the, the this world meaning and think about the spiritual significance, uh, we ask the question, what fruit does God expect from my life? What fruit does God expect to see from his people? Uh, and the answer is, he expects to see the fruit of faith. But as was obvious from the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, uh, they, they were full of the leaves of religion. But there was no fruit of faith in Jesus. It is the call to be fruitful. But there was no fruit. Lots of religion. No fruit of faith. The Apostle Paul was uh, somebody who, 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 who mixed in these circles. He was a high-flying Pharisee. And as he reflects back on the way he had been when he was in the, in, in the midst of that religious circle, uh, he describes these people as, as having a form of godliness, but no power. Lots of religion, lots of formation, but no spiritual power. And he says to Timothy, when he writes to this young minister, Timothy, he says, uh, these people are, are all over the place. I was one of them. But I, I'm telling you, have, have nothing to do with these people. There's no fruit of faith in them. And so as God looks into my life and as he looks into your life uh, this morning, he, he's looking for faith in Jesus. You know, there are so many people... Uh, I think the vast majority of people in, in this country today uh, think in terms of if I have a high enough church attendance, if I try to live my life up to a, a, a good standard and try to do nice things and not too many nasty things, if I maybe have a membership certificate of, of some reputable denomination, then God, in the end, he's going to look into my life and he's going to say, hey, you're okay, you can, you, you can come to heaven. But God is not looking for that. He's looking for faith in Jesus. You can have a membership certificate. And do you no good in the end if there's no faith in Jesus? Remember the minister over in Applecross, Kenny Ban, uh, having a, having a, he was telling me about a, a discussion between a, a very, uh, very religious person uh, and uh, the minister, and uh, they were having a discussion about how we become acceptable to God. And uh, the, the person said, well, I do this and I do that and I do the next thing. And my name's on the church roll. And the minister answered, well, uh, your name may as well be on a sausage roll. <laughs> you need to have faith in Jesus. So do you and I have faith in Jesus? That's the question. You know, as we look around at the beauty of God's creation, we have been given so many reasons to have faith in God. You know, as we open the Bible and we read about uh, the God who so loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could have eternal life. We have so many reasons to put our faith in Jesus. So is the fruit of faith seen in your life and mine? Do you believe in Jesus? Have we come in faith to him? Have we entered into relationship with him? So there's the call to be fruitful. That's the third point. The fourth point is the challenge of, of unbelief. Now in the passage that uh, gives us the, the, the picture of the, of the vineyard, uh, we, we, see, we see that God, he, he plants this vineyard. And there are 
perfect growing conditions in this vineyard, but there's no fruit. That's a dilemma in the passage that, that we read. We're going to miss her. I don't mind at all, but... Uh, So, we have the challenge of, of unbelief that we see as the next point. Uh, uh, there's the Isaiah 5 passage, the vineyard God plants, conditions are perfect, uh, no fruit. That's the situation in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 5 and verse 2 says that he, God, dug it up, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes but it yielded only bad fruit. So if faith is good fruit, unbelief is bad fruit. And that's what was prophesied by Isaiah, there was going to be no fruit. It was going to be unbelief. And that's what had been happening. Generation after generation after generation, there had been bad fruit. And Jesus tells that story in the, in the parable. Uh, look at verses 10 to 12. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. And that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent a third and still they wounded him and threw him out. So who are the servants? Well, the servants are the prophets of God. Isaiah being one of them. Those who, who spoke uh, to the nation of Israel on God's behalf, challenging them to believe. These are the servants of God. They're challenging the people to, to live lives that were, were fruitful, uh, but the people God was reaching out to in his vineyard, uh, they, they would not believe. And one after one, prophet came, and they pushed them back. They sent them away. They abused them. They killed them. They challenged God. Time and time again with their unbelief as the prophets spoke. So then the owner of the vineyard, verse 13, said, What shall I do? All these prophets destroyed. All these messengers sent away. What, what will I do now? The owner of the vineyard said, I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. So who's the son? Well, we know who the son is. It's Jesus. All the prophets pointed to and preceded Jesus, who came from the Father to a rebellious people. But when the tenants saw him, verse 14, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. All this belongs to him. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, verse 15, and killed him. We can imagine the people listening to this story. It's taken a, a bad, bad turn. It's an awful story. And yet, this wasn't just a story. This was happening in real time. Even now, the, the religious leaders uh, were talking the problem of Jesus over amongst themselves. And they had come to a decision that Jesus needed to be killed. He was disrupting their religion. He was challenging their hearts. So he needed to be gone. And in three days' time, they would, in fact, uh, kill Jesus. And Jesus is telling the people, this is what's going to happen. Wearsby, the commentator, says, in this story, in this parable, Jesus gave his own death announcement ahead of time. And we can imagine the religious leaders 
shifting uncomfortably. They thought their plans to kill Jesus, they thought it was classified information. They thought this was all high confidence stuff, and yet Jesus seemed to know all about it. Jesus seemed to know more about their plans than they did, and yet the staggering thing was, he's still reaching out to them. Point five, the last call to faith. I was in the airport last week, and there was a flight to Paris, I think it was, and uh, it was due to, due to go. So I was hearing on the Tannoy, a uh, flight for Paris, uh, leaving at this time, uh, we'd all passengers proceed to the gate. And then a couple of minutes later, a flight to Paris, leaving, would uh, all passengers proceed to the gate. And then uh, a couple of minutes later, flight to Paris, leaving, uh, passengers X and passengers Y, please proceed to the, the gate. And then last call for passengers X and passengers Y for the flight to Paris. Please proceed immediately to the gate. And then I saw this young couple uh, looking disheveled and stressed out, um, charging through the airport. I don't know if they made it or not uh, uh, for the, the flight, but it was their last call. And Jesus told this parable against the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders And this parable is certainly, as far as Luke records, this is the last parable that Jesus told. It was our last call to faith. They'd had many calls, but this was the last one. Jesus wasn't telling this parable to get one over on these people. He wasn't telling this parable as a public put-down. He's reaching out to them. He's saying to them, I know what's going on in your hearts. I know about your plans. But if they would repent and believe at this point... They would be saved. And we might wonder about that. um, But it is true. We might wonder, is it really possible that those who were plotting the death of Jesus could, if they repented, have been saved? And yet it's true. We're going to sing it in just a minute or two. Uh, The vilest offender. Think about that. Think about the worst person you know. Maybe it's yourself. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives and so this was their last call uh, to faith I wonder today is it possible that it could be the last call to faith for someone we don't know how long we've got in this world it could be the last call to faith for someone here we may have another 50 years in this world we may sit in these chairs another thousand times and hear nothing and think only about Brussels sprouts and roast beef that are overcooking the oven. But today, if you can hear, there is an interest, there is an opportunity. It might be your last one. Now, don't hesitate. Repent. Be saved. Final point is the crush of judgment. Verse 16. Jesus says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. (coughs) To Jesus, he's been reaching out, he's been calling, and now he gives a warning as he finishes. And he's speaking about judgment. They don't like hearing about it because when Jesus says this, they say, may this never be. We don't want to hear any of this stuff about judgment. We never do, do we? But they needed to hear the truth about the judgment that awaited those who treated Jesus in this way. So Jesus, he spoke to them with urgency and in love, and he warns them about the truth of judgment. And it says in verse 17, Jesus looked directly at them and asked, 
What then is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And we sang at the beginning of the service about the, uh, the rock of our salvation, that powerful image. And the rock of our salvation, the capstone, the cornerstone of our salvation, it is Jesus He is the the saviour for all who believe in him. But I need to say that if we don't believe in him, if we reject him as they were, we will ultimately feel the crushing judgment of Jesus. And so the question for them and the question for us is how will we respond uh, today? Verse 19, and we're finished. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. No more of this, they said. We can't hear another word of this. They knew that he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So they have to delay a day or two more. But they are determined. They will reject Jesus. And so they made a bad decision. In spite of all the the privileges, in spite of all the, the, the wealth of knowledge of the Bible that they had, in spite of all the miracles that they saw Jesus perform, in spite of hearing a message from the Son of God spoken to them from heaven, against all the evidence, they refused Jesus. They stood against him, and they became all the more determined to get rid of Jesus. And that's the end of this parable. It's not my ending. It's Jesus' ending. And it's serious, and it's tragic, and it's there for us to learn from. You know, there are teachers of the law and chief priests and theology professors and people who had an ocean of wealth of Bible knowledge and many years of religious experience uh, who are crushed under the judgment of Jesus in hell today. And they have no more opportunity to turn to Jesus. We have opportunity today. Maybe just today. So don't pass it by. Come to Jesus and seek salvation in him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, We thank you for the, the winsome power of the gospel call. We hear Jesus reaching out even to the to those who were plotting to kill him. And we know that uh, all those who repent no matter how dark the heart may be and no matter how uh, far they may have gone uh, in rebellion against God we we know that uh, the moment uh, they turn the moment we turn in faith to Jesus we have the promise of salvation we thank you uh, for the the wide call of Jesus to be saved And we thank you for the clarity also that Jesus gives us when he speaks of the judgment that awaits those who will not be saved. Help us to to hear this. Help us to understand that when we go from this world there is not nothing. But there is either an eternity uh, with the Lord or there is an eternity where Uh, we have to face the punishment uh, of the sin that we committed against the Lord. 
May there be no one here who determines to reject Christ and face judgment. Help us, we pray, to look to Jesus in faith and to be saved. Not to harden our hearts, but to trust you while there is time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.